for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and it is week seven in the NFL, and the New York Giants remain relevant. Five and one, off to their best start, or at least continuing their best start since the 2009 season. And they are in second place in the NFC East, despite losing to the Dallas Cowboys earlier this season. Cowboys are responsible for the Giants' only loss, but the Cowboys have lost twice this season, most recently to the Eagles, the undefeated Eagles, on Sunday night. So it's Eagles 1, Giants 2, Cowboys 3, Commanders, now without Carson Wentz for a while, Back to Taylor Heineke. They are in last place in the division. The Giants play the Eagles and the Commanders twice, each of them, in December. So it'll be a while until we see those NFC East rivals. That's why it'll be interesting to see where the Giants are and where the Eagles are specifically when we get into the second half of this season. On today's show... Wide receiver Darius Slayton joins me. We had a great conversation, an interview after practice on Wednesday. Slayton has gone from being a healthy scratch in week one to now being one of the most durable and reliable receivers at Daniel Jones's expense in this offense. We talk a bunch to Slayton about this season, this offense, his career, the business decision that kind of he got caught up in, uh, some of which was out of his control, and uh, just an overall great interview and uh, good candor from Darius. I think you guys will enjoy that one, uh, and he's definitely a likable player in terms of where he's come from, a fifth-round pick. Uh, he's a great guy to talk to in the locker room, certainly well-liked by the media, and he's had his ups and downs, his inconsistencies. I talked to him about all of that. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this week's interview with Darius. Also, we'll close the show with the final drive. Answers to your questions. And the Giants are getting ready to go to Jacksonville this weekend. The first of two road games back to back. It's not an easy spot. And it'll be interesting to see the way the Giants deal with prosperity. They're hearing a lot of praise. There are still areas where they are not being praised, still being overlooked. The Jaguars opened as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Yes, that's the two-and-four Jaguars of Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, old friend Evan Ingram. And that spread has bumped up to three and a half for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, look, Jacksonville is a talented team. They have talent. They're better, clearly, than what they were under Urban Meyer. 
But the Giants at 5-1 and one, coming off of wins against the Packers and the Ravens are now underdogs on the road this Sunday. I would imagine this coaching staff uses that a little bit. Uh, but, look, it's just a reminder of this NFL season and NFL in general, the idea that week to week, anyone could beat anyone. I mean, Jacksonville last year, with all their troubles and all the controversy surrounding Urban Meyer, whether he was on the team or coaching them, not coaching them, and then ultimately was fired, Jacksonville knocked Indy out of the playoffs. They beat Buffalo. So this is a team that has some talent. So there's no question that the Giants have to go down there and play their best game uh, to this point. I, I truly believe because the more you put on film, the more teams will guard against it. And the Giants have been a surprise team, but they've also hit opponents with certain plays that now that it's on film, they have to come with plays off of that. And I wrote a story about the creativity that posted on NorthJersey.com that you should check out. Uh, I think it was a lot of fun and certainly speaks to this Giants offense. You'd look at plays within this offense and think, oh, they're not a creative offense, but they run gimmicks. That's not true. The creativity is in the play designs, but these are not gimmicks. Saquon and the Wildcat running the double reverse in the red zone to Daniel Bellinger having the full house backfield last week with Saquon, Matt Breda, and Gary Brightwell having Daniel Jones throw a wheel route to Breda. These are things that are built off of this offense. And I think you'll enjoy that story. I hope you do. I enjoyed writing it. I enjoyed reporting it. And uh, John, Andy Bischoff, the tight ends coach, gave me some good stuff for that story. Uh, about how the Bellinger pass was not something that they put in a week earlier. It was something that they put in really going back to the spring and worked on it and worked on it and walkthroughs. They wouldn't go over it a couple weeks, then they'd come back to it, and then they decided that it was game ready, and they used it in London against the Packers. So just something to keep in mind as you're watching this Giants team move forward. They're out-coaching opponents, and they're out-executing opponents. The reality is that somewhere along the line, it, it evens out. Because the Giants are going to be challenged to continue to evolve. And that's where we're going to see this team potentially take a little dip or make a step forward depending on how the players play, how they adapt to what's being called, but also how teams are attacking them. Uh, and I'm talking more offensively because defensively we've seen how exotic Wink Martindale's unit can be. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see this offense and how many more layers are there to what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, can do within their base offense and their base schemes uh, and their designs in their playbook. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I think this Sunday will be a big uh, window into that going against a Jacksonville team under Doug Peterson uh, that's clearly better than their 2-4 and four record indicates. 
uh, and this is certainly not a walkover. So we'll get to more of that in the final drive, but without further ado, let's get to Darius Slayton, number 86 in your program, and Slay and I talk a bunch of different things, and I think it's interesting to hear his perspective. So here's Darius Slayton, and we'll be back with the final drive. All right, joining me now, wide receiver Darius Slayton. Darius, thanks for joining me. And first things first, you know, you look around here, you've been here for a while. Describe the vibe to me now versus your first couple seasons here. And um, I don't necessarily want to know what went wrong, but what's going right right now? What feels right about this team? Uh, I think just kind of the fact that We've been able to fight for four quarters consistently. You know, obviously we, uh, especially on the offensive side, maybe haven't necessarily executed as well as we wanted to in the first half of games, but um, we've been able to execute at a high level when we've needed it. And I think that that's shown a lot over the past couple weeks with our ability to to mount some of these comebacks we've had. You know, uh, you walk into this locker room and there seems to be a level of consistency that you guys, Mm -hmm. you know, you're five and one. Everybody's talking around about it. And, you know, it's funny, something you said on Monday in a conference call that stuck out and kind of got attention from guys who followed this team like like I have is that, you know, if, if we talked about not watching the record when we were losing, why is it that much more surprising that you wouldn't follow what we're doing now? Um, talk a little bit more about that, and, and why is that something that's prevalent in this locker room? Um, just because kind of like I said, what I said, I mean, when you when you going down, obviously the last couple of years going down a stretch, we haven't been in a playoff picture really. So um, at that point, you're playing ball just to play ball. You know what I'm saying? And at the end of the day, you got to go out there. You have a job to do. You got to play hard. You got to still fight to win, even if in some people's eyes the wins are meaningless or whatever. You still got to go out there and do your job. So, um, you know, obviously if it gets to that point this year, you know, obviously they will mean something. But I think the mindset is the same. As long as you get that same mindset, then the outcomes take care of themselves. You know, we're here in the in the field house, and, you know, it's great weather outside today for, for New York. I mean, yeah. but I'm looking up, and it, this in the tent that I usually record this, you guys do your special team stuff in here. But uh, there are signs up to be a pro, and it's been all over the building since you guys first started, the, like this new reboot with Brian Dable and, and Joe Shane as general manager. You've kind of defined what it means to be a pro this year, uh, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. You've had to endure the business end of things. Um, how much have you actually learned about this sport and this business at this level really since you've gotten here to, to this point now? Man, a ton, to be honest with you. I feel like I've probably seen or um, experienced just about everything you could, you know, have to experience in this business. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, been a, it's been, a, been a fun four years, but it's been a crazy four years. Has it tes- tested you more mentally than actually physically at this level when you have to go through – whether you're getting playing time or you're not getting playing time or contract talks are all around you, even if you're not involved. I mean, it seems like you try to control what you can control, but mm-hmm. there's so many uncontrollables out there that kind of define what, what happens with guys at this level. Uh, no doubt. I definitely would say it's been more mentally challenging. And, I mean, I, obviously, you know, 
myself and as a team, there's been different types of mental challenges, not just this year, but in, in the past, you know, handling losing was I never lost in my life until my rookie year, you know, and then we, we won like four games, won like an eight-game losing streak. That was something I had to learn to mentally, you know, figure out. And, um, you know, it's kind of just, you know, you lean on your teammates, you lean on some of the older guys, but then now that, you know, it's crazy now, I'm – dang near the oldest guy in our room other than KG and Shep you know right. Shep's out now so you know I'm one of the old guys now but um you know you just kind of make that transition and you learn from those before you and then even veterans in other rooms like a guy like Leonard Williams or somebody who's been in the league for a long time and just try to find little nuggets of wisdom from them you know you mentioned that about young guys you become old fast in this league and yeah. um you know guys are replaceable and you know contracts and everything else but he had a lot of rookies contribute on Sunday. And Dave's actually said it earlier today, the idea that, you know, there's a time every year where the rookies are the guys who everybody wants to talk about. And you were in that situation. You were the sure. rookie that everybody was talking about. You know, oh, you know, it's going to be great to watch Slay grow and, and everything. Um, when you're in it, do you feel yourself getting older and becoming a veteran? Or does it just kind of happen and you kind of look around and you're like, Wait, how, how the heck did this just happen that now all of a sudden I'm the gray beard in the room and yeah. I'm not the guy who everybody, you know, is looking at as the rookie? Yeah, I mean, it definitely probably sneaks up on you more than anything. And it's just kind of like, man, I had a moment today. As a matter of fact, we were out of practice and uh, Makai Polk, I, I was asking him if he knew somebody. I knew a receiver that went to Mississippi State. Okay. And I was asking him about him and he had no idea who I was talking about. <laughs> and then I was like, what year did you graduate high school? He's like, 2019. I was like, bro, that was my rookie year in the league. <laughs> Which is like, I'm only in like year, I'm only 25. I mean, like, you know, like when he said it, I was like, yo, that is insane. So it's like moments like that kind of make you be like, man, I, you know, <laughs> I'm starting to get up there, I guess. You know, it's funny. You watch Wandell score his first career touchdown. I'm sure you can go back and tell me, oh, yeah, my first career touchdown was this. I remember what play it was and that kind of thing. So what was it? What was your first career touchdown? Uh, it was against the Vikings. I had a post. I think we used to call that play Shark. I want to say and I had a post back time DJ gave me a good ball and I was able to run it down you know a lot was made about your chemistry with with DJ and the idea of in the beginning of the season the numbers were the numbers game was what it was and mm -hmm. waiting for an opportunity I mean sometimes guys say that I'm just waiting for my number to be called and if it happens they don't take advantage of it or it, it never comes about because of whatever other circumstances how confident were you that when you made the decision and said, look, I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to do what I got to do. And when I get the opportunity, I'm going to hold on to it. Were you confident that it was going to come? I mean, I know it's easy to say now, but for sure. Yeah. Why, you know, why did you think, you know what, I, I'm going to make this happen. This is going to happen for me. It's kind of like you said, I mean, it, it is easy to look back on it and say, yeah, I always believed this, but I really did, mostly because I've, I've already been here before. You know, I wasn't a first, second round, third pick. You know, I was a fifth round pick, and me and DJ started on the third team. You know, so I've and, – and back then, you know, just to talk about how much things change in this league, like back then, like most of the guys in our room were 27-plus. You know, we had at least two 30-year-olds. We had like two 28-year-olds. Me at 21, 22 – out the next to me was Shep, and Shep was 25 or 26 my rookie year. Right. He was next youngest. So, you know, back then I was fighting like a veteran group, guys that had been here, and on top of being a late-round pick, you know. So 
now it's kind of like the reverse of I'm a little older now and I'm fighting younger guys or whatever, guys we sign, whatever. But, you know, my mindset is always the same. You know, I know when I get my opportunities, I'm going to take advantage of them and hold on to them. You've found, at least from my eyes, you found a consistency in your game this year that, you know, in the past there has been some inconsistency in terms Mm -hmm. of, but that's this league. For sure. Um, What have you focused on to make your game more consistent? Is it this offense? Is it your role? How have you been able to find that consistency after really having inconsistent opportunities the beginning of the season? Uh, I think just, man, just those periods or weeks where I maybe wasn't uh, like the kind of the first two weeks where I was, you know, active or whatever, healthy scratch, whatever. And I was kind of maybe um, taking more of like uh, like scout team reps. I think just taking advantage of those reps helps when you get back into, you know, being in the starting group or whatever, you know, because at the end of the day, football is football. And you're going against the first team defense. So, you know, you're going against guys that are Sunday guys. And I think that sometimes it's easy in that position to be like, man, I don't, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm better than this. Like, why am I out here? And it's like, you could take that mindset, but if you really want to get yourself ready to play ball, you know, it's best to take advantage of those reps, take them serious. And then when you come back, now it's, it's not like, oh man, I ain't been out here in three weeks. It's oh, okay, I'm good to go. Right. I know my skills are sharp. That's interesting. So in the beginning of the week, the first two weeks of the season, obviously you were inactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in practice, when you were on scout team, were you going up against Adori and yeah, going up I'm against A-Rob? Adori, A-Rob, Darnay, and I'm trying to work them trying to kill him <laughs> you know what I'm saying for them it's Wednesday whatever Thursday me is game day you know because and, and you know obviously that pays off in the long run and that did you feel like that that is what prepared you sure. when you got the opportunity because no you doubt. just didn't take any days off it was no doubt yeah um when you look at this offense and I know I asked you this the other night I'm gonna ask you it again the idea that the creativity in this offense and the way that you could be effective and efficient but it's not, you know, throwing for 350 yards, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about this offense, the way they structure it, the way it's designed that uh, has you guys uh, successful to this point? Um, I think just kind of them understanding everybody's skill set and then putting you in positions to win and be successful, you know, because at the end of the day, that's like the name of the game in this league. You see um, – Take like a guy like the Eagles, like Jalen Hurts, right? Like if you ask Jalen Hurts to go out there and play like Tom Brady every Sunday, you probably wouldn't get the best version of Jalen Hurts. He's not Tom Brady. They're different people. But, you know, obviously they're having a lot of success right now, and part of it is because they're letting him be him. Read options, things like that, things that he's good at. And I think that our coach did a good job of that with us here. And, you know, uh, obviously this box score doesn't always show like 300-plus passing yards, four touchdowns, whatever. But I think that, that sometimes that doesn't always tell the whole story. And that, that doesn't mean the opportunities aren't there. It's just football, man. Like, sometimes you got the play on and, you know, maybe you don't get this guy blocked or maybe, you know, this guy runs a wrong route and if he had ran the right route, he would have cracked him for 60. Right. So I think that, you know, that type of thing, that just comes with time. You know, and obviously at the end of the day, the, the main objective is to win the game. As we said, you and Daniel have had a, a bond really from day one of rookie minicamp. You guys were out here making plays. Uh, when you see him commanding the huddle the way he is now, I know guys in this locker room talked about that back when he was a rookie, the idea of yeah. you know his presence. But 
Take, take me inside a little bit. When you see Daniel now, I know that's probably the player you saw back then, but how, how is he different? How, how is he viewed differently by this locker room, do you think? Um, I think just <clears throat> he's kind of submitted himself around here as a football player to us, you know? Like, I feel like maybe other places, the quarterback, it's like there's the football team and the quarterback. You know what I mean? Yep. And there's it's almost like a – it's almost like they're something else. But I think he, he, he one thing he's done a great job of in his play and his behavior is he's submitted himself as a football player around here. So, like, to us, he feels like he's a part of his team. Obviously, we know he's the quarterback. We, we know what the quarterback means. But I think even just a couple weeks ago, you know, he, he hurts his ankle. He's out the game. Tyrod gets concussed. He's got to come back in. And we end up winning that football game because he sticks it out. You know, like, stuff like that, like, stands out to guys. Uh was there ever a time this year where you thought, you know what, I'm not going to be here. Maybe it's a better opportunity elsewhere for me. Um, I try my best not to think about it, but <laughs> you know, obviously with being public knowledge, people ask you and all that type of thing. And I mean, um, it was it was definitely one of those things though that I knew wasn't in my control because obviously I'm still under contract. So you know, it was ultimately up to them whether I was or wasn't here. Right. But um, you know, I didn't. Maybe crossed my mind, but I didn't. I never dwelled on it. You know, at the end of the day, like I like to be where my feet are and my feet were here. So um, I did my best to focus on being a giant. And that's the crazy thing, not to keep going back on that, but mm -hmm. I don't think people truly understood what the situation was. The reason why your contract was out there and people were talking about the cap number was because of how much you've meant to this team over your first three years yeah. of your contract. You know, sure. it's built into the CBA, you know, rookies get rewarded for snap counts and everything else. So it's not like you went out and did something or demanded something. This was automatically a situation that you were thrust into. Yeah. So for you, it really was a business decision. It wasn't necessarily something that you had control over. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, um, so Let's let's have some fun going forward in in this team. Um, first off, I have to ask you: classic college football game on Saturday. I know you're obviously still huge Auburn guy, mm -hmm. but when Alabama and Tennessee play that game and Alabama loses, and you walk into the locker room today, and you got Landon Collins, Evan Neal, I assume Zay has got one too, having to wear Tennessee stuff for one of the equipment guys or one of the yeah. trainers. Uh, does that kind of lift the spirit of an Auburn guy when you walk in and see that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we lost in, like, the early slate, I think, to Ole Miss. So then watching that game in the afternoon, obviously, anytime you see Bama lose is a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, it definitely – that was a good feeling. All right, so if, you, if you're coming out, when you guys get introduced as starters, if it was like baseball and you had, a, like, a walk-up song, do you have a song that you would, you would want to come out to? Man, I've actually thought about that, like – I'd be trying to think of what song, if I could. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of one, but I definitely I would have one for sure. No I'd doubt, no doubt, yeah, no doubt about it. And would it be would it be like you think it would be rap, R and B, rock? What what would you? Definitely, probably rap. Because I was gonna say you like seem like an eclectic guy, though. You seem like a guy yeah. who would like. You I know, like pull some like instrumental that yeah, come yeah. out to. I like a lot of I like a wide range of music, but it would probably be some rap, some hype. All right, so, and the last one, we've been having fun with this one, uh, the, the whole idea of a zombie apocalypse. If you had to pick three teammates oh, to be with you. Yeah, well, would you survive? You have to pick, you have to pick three teammates to help you survive. Who would it be? Three teammates to help me survive a zombie apocalypse. 
And you could be creative. You don't have to pick the, the usuals. Three teammates to help me survive a zombie apocalypse. Leo. <laughs> Everybody picks Leo. Yeah. <laughs> Leo definitely got to be one of them. Ben Bredesen. Ben Bredesen. Oh, I got to hear the reason why. Why Ben Bredesen? Just toughness? Toughness. He's an outside guy. He's from Michigan. You know, like, probably knows how to work the land. It's like a midway. You know, I just feel like Ben, he's got a good set of outdoor skills. Okay. That's Two good. big guys. There's my muscle. And then i probably say, uh, you know what? And I don't know. I don't know Jalen Smith that well. But I feel like in like a combat, like fighting for our life scenario, he's just like the type of person you okay. would want to have your back. All right. So I'm going to go Jalen Smith. All right. And we all know you feel you, you, you guys, that little pocket in the locker room with you, Jay Love, with Notre Dame, and then Zay with Alabama. You know, he's got that Notre Dame stuff. So I don't know if you yeah. really want to I hate do Notre, that Dame. Notre Dame. I, I, I know. I do hate Notre Dame. I can't stand them. If not him, I'd probably say Gary Brightwell, though. Gary's tough. Wow, very yeah. well. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll let you have four. You yeah. can have four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing, going into a big weekend this weekend down in Jacksonville, you guys are five and one. Why will this team handle prosperity uh, better than maybe previous iterations of teams that you've been with this year, uh, this season, and or this career? Sorry. Um, I think the best thing we got going for us right now is we're not delusional. You know, we know we're not playing the best ball we can play. We're winning in spite of at the moment. We're winning in spite of not playing the best ball we can play. So I think that we all understand that we have a ways to go. We can execute far better. And that's just the nature of the game of football sometimes. Because in the past, it was we was on the other side of the fence where, oh, if we just had that play, we went, we were won. Oh, because, you know, it's, it, the NFL is not like college where you're just getting smoked by 40. Right. You're losing by like seven or less more times than not. So on this year so far, we've been able to find that play we needed to get us over the hump. But um, we know that we definitely have a ways to go, and I think that that'll pay off for us because nobody's getting complacent, nobody's relaxing. Darius Slayton, 5-1 and one New York Giants. It's been great to watch you write a new chapter to your career this year. I wish you the best of luck on Sunday, and uh, go get them. For sure. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, special thanks to Darius Slayton. Appreciate his time after practice on Wednesday. And like I said, I hope you appreciate the candor from Slayton. None of that was rehearsed. Uh, and a little inside the planning for All In, uh, we were aiming for a couple different interviews. Slayton was the one that popped yesterday. This wasn't something that he prepared for. Uh, we just basically went out there uh, into the field house and recorded the show. And I thought he was great. A lot of his answers uh, were thoughtful. Uh, I think he took the time to think about how he wanted to answer it, but not too much time. And whenever you can get a personality or a player like that, uh, I think you, you appreciate it. And certainly as a guest, I think he gave you guys uh, something to really enjoy. So thanks again to Darius Slayton. Best of luck to him this weekend. Hopefully his consistency continues and uh, he could stay a big part of this offense regardless of what happens uh, with Kenny Galladay or Kadarius Toney uh, as we move forward here. But right now, Slayton has earned his spot, and uh, that certainly did not appear 
that it was going to be the case about a month ago. All right, so let's jump into the final drive. Your questions, my answers. I'll do my best to get you the information and what you need to hear. Uh, First up, I want to say that I do appreciate everybody chiming in. Uh, I know there are some who are upset that I've been tweeting a little bit about the Yankees in the postseason. And all I'll say is, before you start criticizing what I'm tweeting, look at your own timeline and see what you're tweeting. uh, And then realize that my life goes beyond the Giants' beat. And speaking of which, a happy anniversary to my wife. 15 years. So, I love you. And talk about all in none of this would be possible without her support so uh when you see me all in on the giants that's because she's all in my family's all in and uh we bring this to you so on my anniversary i'm here recording this for you guys to make sure you have uh the latest ish- the, the latest edition of, of all in before you head down to jacksonville we're heading into a weekend Uh, to start preparing for the Giants game. So hopefully you you appreciate that like I do, and I appreciate you guys. All right, so first question is from Matthew Block. Is Dexter Lawrence currently playing at a higher level than Leonard Williams has at any point in his career? You know, Matt, I, I, I go back to what I tweeted earlier uh, this week, is that... I don't think Leonard Williams is appreciated for the type of player that he is. I think he's a lot better than he gets credit for. I think part of that is because he plays a position that is not necessarily reflected by sacks. Uh, I think him coming to the Giants off of a trade that was highly controversial uh, by Dave Gettleman and panned by a lot of people. And I think people look at Leonard's contract uh, and think, well, he's overpaid. The reality is Leonard Williams is a huge part of this defense. uh, And what Dexter Lawrence is doing, he's hitting his stride earlier than what Leonard Williams did in in his career. Now, Leonard made a Pro Bowl. I think Dex is online to making a Pro Bowl this year. Uh, They're two different positions. You know, Leonard's not playing nose guard. They're two different body types. Uh, And it just so happens that I talked to Dex and I talked to Leonard about that, uh, and I'll have a piece next week on Dexter specifically, but with input from Leonard. You know they're good friends off the field. Uh, They've gotten an opportunity to be and hang around with each other, Uh, and I think they've helped each other professionally. Um, And who knows, before the end of the season, trying to get Dex and Leo to come on all in to do a joint interview the way... Saquon and Shep did earlier this season, so we'll see. But it's a good question, Matt. I think you'd have to say yes based on Dexter's age and where he's at, but I would not look that as a negative uh, to Leonard Williams because I think he gets a lot more respect around the league than he's given uh, by the Giants or what he was given by the Jets. All right, Doug wants to know, what are the chances Nick Gates gets activated off Pup? I also have another question Uh, from somebody about Gates that I answered on 
uh, Twitter yesterday uh, about Gates, Parrot, and uh, Rodarius Williams. So that was from Steve. So I'll give you my what I told Steve yesterday on Twitter was that I think Gates is up against the clock. Now, yesterday was a great revelation to see Gates getting some snaps at center with John Feliciano nursing his groin injury and as a limited participant in practice. So, look, if Gates can play and they don't have big red flags, I'm absolutely activating Nick Gates to be on this team. Now, where he factors in, I'm not sure. I don't know how quickly he can sub in on that interior line. I think he'd be in the mix for guard. I think he'd be the perfect backup center so you don't have to move Bredesen. Ben Bredesen is coming off his best game of the season against the Ravens. So you never turn down offensive line depth. And if they feel like Nick Gates can play and his leg can hold up, I think he'll end up being activated by next Wednesday. But that's going to be determined by the medical team. I know Gates has been busting it. I have no doubt that Nick Gates will give himself the best opportunity. I don't believe they would have opened his 21-day window off of Pup if they didn't believe he had a shot. I don't think this is just a fait accompli and they're just waiting 21 days before they put Nick out for the rest of the season. Uh, So it remains to be seen. Nick's got another week to go, and I think he'll give himself an opportunity, and you have to see where the roster is coming out of this game next week, too. You know, a guy gets hurt, all of a sudden they're thin on the interior. They may feel as though they have to push Gates out there. If the line is the way it is, right now they're at 52 players on the 53-man roster. Could they be holding that spot open for Nick Gates? It's a possibility. As far as Matt Parrott coming back from an ACL that he suffered in December, uh, that's not going to be easy. I'm sure he's he's making progress, but I think that's more of a second half of the season. Shane Lemieux, I think he has his best shot to get back in the mix on the 53, uh, probably around the Houston-Detroit games. I think that's where you start looking at activating Shane Lemieux. This stretch here, Jacksonville at Seattle, then the bye week, then those two games. I think Lemieux stays around here, rehabs during the bye week, Giants get a good idea of where he is, and then maybe that Houston game is one that they're circling and saying Shane Lemieux can get back for that. All of this has to do with numbers and how many guys are back, uh, but you can't assume You know, with Lemieux, he's on IR, so you can wait. You know, you don't have to sit here and say, we got to start the clock on Lemieux. You could decide in December to take Lemieux off of IR. So the difference between Gates and Lemieux is that Gates, a decision has to be made by next Wednesday. For Lemieux, you can wait. So if you don't have the numbers and you feel like you need Lemieux, you activate him. If he's a better option than who you have out there, you activate him. But you don't want a situation where 
you're looking at it and saying, okay, um, we have to activate Lemieux just for the sake of activating him. And now you have four offensive linemen on the, on the bench sitting around and that that's not what you want either, because that'll take away your flexibility in the roster. So hopefully that answers, uh, answers your question. Um, let's go to, we did the Dexter question, the Gates question. Chris Whalen wants to know who the next Giants player is to be extended long-term. Uh, I think that player will be Julian Love. I'd be surprised if the Giants let Julian go. I think Julian wants to be here. Uh, I think he's a fit in Wink's defense. He's an outstanding special teamer. He's a captain. Uh, and I don't think that he wants to go anywhere. So I think that would be an extension that is not breaking the bank. His value is more to the Giants than it would necessarily be outside of this team on the market. So I'll I'll say while Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney are two guys who I believe will be extended by this front office, I think Julian Love gets the first extension for a current player on the roster. Uh, Isaac, welcome back. Hypothetically, the Giants season ends in the playoffs. What do you think Joe will do? Extend DJ for two years and continuing rebuilding the roster? Or will he pull the trigger and draft the QB he likes? Look, if they make the make the playoffs, Isaac, they're not going to be in a position to draft a quarterback in the top half of the first round. So you have to see how the season plays out. Uh, and it is all tied, or at least mostly tied, to Daniel Jones's health and his production and the fact that they're winning games. Uh, I think, you know, there's this idea, if Daniel Jones plays well, that he's going to price himself out of the Giants' price range. I don't see that happening. Uh, like I said, his value here is greater than what it would be outside of here. Um, you know, is he going to get a bigger contract than Mitch Trubisky got going to Pittsburgh as the pseudo starter? You know, he'll get more than Tyrod Taylor got. But are we we really thinking at this point that a team outside of the Giants is going to give Daniel Jones $30 million a year? I guess it's possible, but I don't see that happening. So I think Daniel Jones uh, will be here if they want him here. Uh, if the season does not go well, then I think the Giants will look at other plans. Uh, as far as what the contract will look like, uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't think we can even guess at this point. They're 5-1. and one. I would say enjoy your season for what it is right now and then deal with Daniel Jones's future after the season. Uh, Forbidden 13. Oh, so I assume that's a play on on Odell. A uh, few fans have mentioned Daniel Jones's fourth year is reminiscent of Eli Manning's fourth from 07. Uh, no, I, I don't see that necessarily. Uh, I have heard that. Uh, I think that team was much more talented and much more ready to win than this team. But I do think that Daniel Jones has taken a jump. Uh, I do laugh that, you know, when he fumbled the ball on that last-ditch Hail Mary effort right before halftime against the Ravens, that it goes up on Twitter and then all of a sudden you see tweets from around the league, people who cover other teams calling him Danny Turnovers and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know when... 
the narrative or the perception will change of Daniel Jones, but it should have changed by now. He's certainly not a perfect player. He's not producing as a top you know, 10 quarterback right now, but he has made strides under Brian Dable and Mike Kafka and Shea Tierney, uh, and I think Jones deserves some credit for it. Big Blue Brooklyn wants to know about the true road games. Uh, have they changed their prep at all? How will they change after a great month or so of crowd noise at MetLife? I don't think they'll change much. London did have a very Packers-friendly crowd. Uh, it was all Packers. At least, you know, what you heard in the stands. I was there. It, it was a Packers home game. Uh, I don't know if they've changed much. We'll have to see. And I don't know if you can compare Jacksonville right now to what they're going to see uh, in Seattle in two weeks. You know, Geno Smith is playing well, uh, and we know about the 12th man. So it'll be very interesting to see, but I don't think they'll change much right now. I think they'll look to uh, continue what they're doing and stay status quo in terms of preparation. Um, Stan wants to know how similar or different does this team feel than the 2016 playoff team and what's the likelihood they regress next year like the 2016 playoff team did you know I, and then what what is different about this team i think what's different about this team is that th- that 2016 team was bolstered by an enormous free agent commitment million worth of contracts of players. And that was the infusion. This team is being infused by rookies and players who are suddenly developing under a new coaching staff. And I think that's the difference. That makes me feel different about this team. They have not compromised their salary cap for 2023 and beyond. They are looking at this team. They did not expect to be 5-1. They are certainly thrilled that they're five and one, but I think that's the biggest difference: is that they compromised themselves in 2016, and they got to the playoffs. But they were not thinking about 17, 18. They thought that group was going to sustain, and it did not. And there were a lot of mistakes made behind the scenes uh, from the coaching staff, and that still remains. You know, kind of that cloud hanging over this team going all the way back. They hopefully will have learned from those missteps. And that would have to come from ownership and whoever's left in the front office who was here back then to kind of relay those messages. What do you do in year two? Because year two has not been great for Giants coaches. The last three have lost their jobs either during or after year two. So that's certainly something to address in the offseason. All right, Elizabeth Contreras wants to know who will have the biggest impact rest of the season, Wandell Robinson or Daniel Bellinger. Uh, I think Wandell will have an impact, but I think it's Daniel Bellinger. You see how they use him. Uh, he's continuing to be an impactful player in the run game. To me, it's no question that it's Bellinger. That shouldn't take away from what Wandell contributes Uh, because I do think he will contribute, but I think it's Bellinger. And the last question for this week is Anthony Maffey. 
If the if the opportunity presents itself, do you think the Giants make a deal at the deadline <clears throat> for a wide receiver? And in relation to Tony, do you sense any frustration from the coaching staff with his inability to stay on the field? <clears throat> First off on Tony, there has to be frustration across the board. This is a lingering hamstring injury, whether it's one hamstring, both hamstrings. It's it's terrible. It, it can't happen. It shouldn't be happening to a professional player at this level. And there needs to be some frustration vented both from the player and the team. That being said, when he's ready, he'll possibly be a contributor. Do I think that the Giants would consider dealing Tony at the deadline if he's healthy? I do. I do. I, I just think they're showing what they have right now, and they need to get assets for the draft for next year. And if you can't rely on Tony, if you get an opportunity to get a mid-round pick for for Kadarius Tony, I think they would pull the trigger on that in a heartbeat. But we'll have to wait and see. There's no question that Kadarius Tony showed in that Dallas game what he could be. But as I said several weeks ago, the further we get away from that and the further he remains on the sideline, it becomes more and more of an outlier of who he is as a player. We all want to talk about how much of a playmaker he is and his special talent. Right now, he can't get on the field and can't stay on the field. And I'm not trying to knock Tony. That's the reality. If he can't get on the field, he has no value to this team. Period. That's it. And that's all you that's the only way to assess the situation. If he gets on the field and can show something, then that's a different story. As far as the Giants making a deal for a wide receiver, I don't think it happens. Uh, I've heard names like DJ Moore or Chase Claypool from the Steelers. Uh, you know what? If the opportunity was there and they could give a late-round pick or swap a player at some point that wasn't a factor for this season, you know, you want to trade Kadarius Toney for Chase Claypool, um, I think that might be something that the Giants would consider. But at this point, I don't think that's happening. I think the Giants are going to continue to use what they have at their disposal uh, as far as wide receivers, continue to check the wire, uh, but move forward with Darius Slayton, Wondell Robinson, Marcus Johnson, David Sills. I know they're not jumping off the page productive production-wise, but I think that's just where they are. And then next year maybe is the, the year where they make a splash uh, for a legit number one wide receiver. That'll do it for this week. Sorry we went a little long, but I wanted to get to all your questions. Appreciate, as always, you all in. I will be in Jacksonville and have a post-game podcast up Sunday night, so make sure you check it out. Giants-Jacksonville, 5-1. and one. Can the Giants get to 6-1, and one? Uh, which would be another big win and a huge step forward for Brian Dable and this team. So appreciate you checking it out please spread the news if you have friends or fellow season ticket holders or anyone who might want to listen to the all-in podcast make sure you get it out there i appreciate the promotion thanks as always and we'll talk to you on sunday night